Hello and welcome to another edition of Operation Limitless. I'm Brett Lechtenberg here with Sal Rosano. Uh, unfortunately, missing today is Bill Schiffenauer and Mark Peterson, but they wish us well. Uh, this is the show where you hear directly from the people who are in the top 1% in the world at what they do. We focus on how average people ended up achieving incredible triumphs through confidence, grit, determination, and the quest for personal mastery. The goal is to take the commonalities of these incredible human beings and build a model from which others can create a limitless life. And in this episode, I, we have the amazing opportunity to talk with Coach Ron James. And Ron is a former coach at West Point, and the crowd does go wild, yes, uh, various colleges and at the professional level. And we're going to talk today with Ron about his history, what he's doing now, kind of dive into any projects he's got going. And I know he's got some a special place for youth and youth athletics and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to turn the time over to Sal and say thank you for being here, Ron, and Go ahead, Sal. Take her away. Yeah, perfect. So, um, Coach Ron has just re- recently joined uh, Juan Diego, and I don't want to steal too much of his thunder, but he's a he's a high school coach locally here. But his lineage and his uh, experience in the coaching world is far far uh, exceeds anything that you know anything around here. But the reason I invited him is because as a coach, you have such a direct impact on youth and like building young men. And I'm sure everybody in this room and even our partners that aren't here, everybody always goes back to one coach that changed their life. And for me, I think it's really profound. I think that's a he holds a very special, trusted spot for youths. Um, and honestly, I wanted him to share like his success with all of us and people out there and even the youth out there that are maybe struggling. Um, so I don't want to steal too much of his thunder again, but I will mention highlight. He's a West Point coach that beat Navy twice while he was there. So James Valdez, suck it. <laughs> um, now I wish I knew James Valdez. <laughs> yeah. James is a, vet, a Navy vet. And uh, one last thing, you know, he won Coach of the Year twice, 2012 and 2017 at the professional level. So, you know, it says a lot about his character and uh, coach. I can't thank you enough for being here. I know you coach my boy and he is – done nothing but raved about you so i'd like to we'd all like to hear your story and take it from there well first of all thanks for having me this is great um you know i i never thought i was going to coach high school football and you know it going up as, as a college coach and and then into professional ranks i talk to my wife about it every now and then and she'd, she'd say you know would you ever think about maybe coaching and teaching and just having what everybody else considers a normal nine to five, you know, um, because at the professional level, you, every year is a, a different adventure, right? And if you don't have a good season, you're fired and you got to look for a new job. And most of the guys that I, that I know that have coached professionally, you know, they got U-Haul on speed dial. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where you, you know that it's eventually you're going to get fired. You know, and my, my badge of courage, I guess, is the fact that I've only gotten fired once in 30 years. Nice. So, Congrats. you know, not a bad thing, I guess. I, Does that mean you ducked out of town right before the axe was falling? Or what? Yeah, it's, it's either I'm smart enough to see the bullets flying or I'm dumb enough to get caught with all of them. I don't know which it really was. But uh, either way, I, I, you know, I survived the axe many times. But, uh, you know, it, it's been a true blessing for me to come to Juan Diego. And something I never expected, and the funny thing about it was that uh, you know, I, I'd, I'd said to myself this last year, my son was a senior in high school mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd come off coaching in Canada, with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, and I'd been out in Atlantic City coaching another professional team in the Arena Football League. I said, you know, my son's a senior. It's only going to happen once. Why don't I just stay home? 
and be home for once instead of a half a year here, a half a year there. We've kept our home base here uh, in Salt Lake City since 2006. Oh, wow. You know, and every year that, you know, since the Utah Blazers, I was a head coach for them in the Arena Football League, they folded in 2013. After that, I, I decided there's no more moving for us. You know, our kids are school age. I, mm-hmm. I want to see them have stability. I don't want to have them raised, you know, bouncing from school to school. Uh, so we decided to do that. And in that, you know, in that vein, I looked at it and said, you know, my, my son's senior year, I want to see it through. He's playing football. He's, you know, he's going to wrestle, run track, all the things he does. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to hear about it or have to be Skyped into it, you know. And uh, so we made that decision. And it came about late spring, uh, kind of a surprise when, when uh, John Colosimo retired yeah. uh, at Juan Diego and, and just a coaching legend. You know, it, nobody could coach around here and not know who he was. Yeah, he's been around for a while. You know, and you know, eight state championships and all that. And, you know, uh, just a tremendous football coach. And uh, Ron McBride is a great friend of mine. And Coach Mack has been a head coach at Utah and Weber State. And mm-hmm. he actually worked for me with the Utah Blaze. And that's how we, we became great friends. And he called me up. His daughter, Kelly Redican is a guidance counselor at Juan Diego and said that, you know, Coach John is retiring and they were looking for a new coach and they were elevating uh, Coach Williams to the head coaching position. So I said, well, what are the, what's available? And Coach Max said, well, they're looking for a defensive coordinator. So I said, well, shoot, I did that for eight years in college football. I think I might be able to do that at the high school level. <laughs> pull Not that sure. off maybe. Yeah, yeah. pull a rabbit out of my hat and see what happens, right? But, uh, yeah, so he called me and said, look um, – the principal wants to meet with you, Gailey Colosimo, Dr. Gailey Colosimo down, down at Juan Diego wants to meet with you. And so I came down and, and met with them. And uh, about five minutes into the conversation, uh, Dr. Colosimo looks me dead in the eye and says, look, you're vastly overqualified for what we've got here. Tell me, why do you want it? And I, you know, I laid out the reasons we talked about family-wise. And I also said, you know, it's, it also checks the box of something I've never done. I'm always looking for something that challenges me, something that's different. You know, if I walked in at this stage of my career and coached high school football, which I did, not knowing anything about it, it's going to challenge me. Sure. It's totally different. I mean, mm-hmm. because you don't have a bunch of guys coming over the hill, you know, with new talent. Like professional level, you make calls, call to agents, look at film. You bring in guys every week, work guys out, you know, keep improving the roster. In high school football, you have to improve the kids you have. You're not getting a whole new group. And I looked at that and I said, you know what, that would be, that'd be fun. It would be a great challenge. Plus, it's giving back to the community. And it's something that I've always taken very seriously as a coach, to give back to the community, to, to, to be more than yourself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I, I'm, I tend to think of myself as a pretty selfless individual. I, I, if, you, if you see me around the school, you probably just see me in the weight room, you know, interacting with the kids. But it's all about them and not about me. And that's the way I've always dealt with every team that I've had. One of the things that, that I've drawn on a lot is uh, I read this book by John Wooden, famous basketball coach mm-hmm. at UCLA. Everybody knows John Wooden, right? Uh, but he has a book called On Leadership. Mm-hmm. And yep, I've, wor- I've worn that book out. I mean, there, there are so many highlights that I have in that, and I draw from it constantly. So if I have a problem or a thought about what I should do with the team, I go back to that book and I read it. And I've read it so many times. And and one of the things that, that he talks about all the time is that coaching is a sacred thing. It's a sacred trust is what he, what he says. And and I really looked at that and I said, you know, I grew up in Catholic school, you know, all the way through, including high school, including college. Mm-hmm. And I said, and now all of a sudden I feel like I'm getting pointed in that direction again. 
and I've got an opportunity to go back. And when I look at the kids, I say, it truly is a sacred trust. You know, these kids look at you like you're the authority, which you are as an adult and as somebody that's been through the sport and, and knows how to develop athletes. And you have that sacred trust, that look in their eye that says, teach me and show me exactly what to do. And if you don't value that, you look down upon that or look at it like, oh, I'm just a high school coach, you're doing a disservice to those kids. Mm -hmm. Those kids will grow up as adults and look at what their experience was and draw from it. You know, how many of us remember our high school teachers, high school coaches? There's going to be one person that touches your life. Uh, There's my, going to be. My high school track coach, 100%. Yeah, mine was my wrestling coach, Mr. Moakwood, Dave Moakwood. Yeah, and, and they teach you the values, you know, of hard work, teamwork. And, you know, you can't, as a parent, do better than have a coach that can influence your kid. You know, and when I think about it, you know, as a coach, I looked at the coaches that my son had going on through high school. And maybe I was a little more critical because of being in the business. And I looked at it and said, you know what, I can do that. I can make a difference with these kids. I can have that touchstone for them that maybe when they graduate, they come back and say, you know, coach, what can I do to improve? You know, I'm, I'm not getting that one-on-one -on -one that I used to get at Juan Diego when I'm at Utah State or, you know, Notre Dame or wherever they go because it's different in college. As a college athlete, you're one in many, mm -hmm. and you're maybe 12th in the rep line, where at Juan Diego, you're one of a handful, yeah. and you're getting that individual one-on-one -on -one attention. And, you know, I, I just look at that and say, you know, I've got to do it right. And I've got to, you know, if, if you talk to you, to your son Antonio and you talk to some of his teammates and talk, even talk to the coaches at Juan Diego, they'll probably tell you that my energy level just soars when I get with those kids. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a pretty laid back guy, um, but when I get on the football field, the intensity level ratchets its way up, you know, <laughs> and I look at these kids and I'm like, I've got to give them everything that I possibly can, even in the weight room. So one of the things that Coach Williams was telling me that they haven't had that, that type of intensity or training in a weight room in over 20 years at the school. Yeah, I don't remember it. And he's been there since ninth grade, so. Yeah, and, and the kids feed off of that, you know, because we all know, you, you know, in the military that the whole thing is the synergy. Yeah. When everybody's working together and there's that fire, everything, it steamrolls mm -hmm. and everything goes great. Um, you know, when you don't have that, look out. Yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. What was it, the, uh, the community you brought it up? <laughs> Communitas is large group flow, like a concert, but yeah. yeah. Team or group flow is a really powerful thing, and to be able to pull on those, what are called flow triggers for teams, those ten specific flow triggers, that can move mountains, right? When you understand what those are and how you put them in place, and, um, it's freaking amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure you're doing that. So um, maybe calling it by a different name, but uh, I'm sure that's happening. So yeah, I, I know that it's happening. The kids don't even know it's happening. That's yeah. right. You know, which is the beauty of it, right? Mm -hmm. So what I try to do is draw on that synergistic effect and make sure that these kids are feeding off one another. So if you go into that room when we're going, yeah, we got some music going and all that stuff. These guys have to deal with my old man music, the 80s rock and all that stuff. You know? High five. Yeah. For those yeah. Right, right here, yeah. brother. Right here. <laughs> so, you know, we, we get them going and, and they feed into it, you know, and some of these kids really, really get going. But, you know, I try to find, just like I did in professional football, find each player's hot button. You know, what makes them tick? For some kids, you know, they need that pat in the back, that arm around them, that fatherly love, that little bit of, you know, okay, you can do this. For some kids, they need a kick in the pants. They, mm -hmm. they need that guy that's going to be, you know, tough on them because they haven't had that. 
most kids really want discipline. And I find that with most athletes too, mm-hmm. you know, professionally. They want discipline. They may not ask for it, but they really want it and they, they will feed off it. So you put them in that environment. And I drew off some of my West Point things too. So like we have certain expectations when, when they walk in. If they are even a minute late for going into that door, they, don't, they owe us 50 push-ups before they even start. I love it. You know, uh, they have to wear Juan Diego gear when they're in there. Otherwise, they're pushing the floor again. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can't cut sleeves off their, sh- their T-shirts unless they can bench 225. <laughs> You know, oh, is that the, that's that. the that's the mark. That's huh? the benchmark. You know, literally, yeah. right? So yeah. you know, right. they've got all these things that are expectations while they're in there, and what they don't know is that that pulls them together, and makes them accountable to one another. Not so much to me. Like if I I came in and I this happened twice, you know, I, I teach PE there and I mm-hmm. teach the weight training classes, and and uh, one day I didn't have a Juan Diego T-shirt on. And, and they called me on it. And I had, I had, to, I had to do my, my push-ups. I hit 50. Like Coach Larson will stand in the doorway when he doesn't have Juan Diego gear on. He won't, uh, he won't cross the threshold. Danny, you, know? you sissy. <laughs> you know, and, and some we, of the other coaches We call coaches that being like a candy ass, I think. Yeah, <laughs> well, it might be a form of intelligence, too, because you don't, you don't want to look, look bad in front of those kids. You can't, you, you can't do them. You know, that's true. I tell everybody. Not everybody. Everybody can be hard. Not everybody can be smart. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I love Daddy, by the way. He's a great guy. His, his kid was one of my students in the martial arts school for a while. And <laughs> so, okay. so yeah. side note, but when we used to coach the little guys like Dallas, Tyler, Antonio, uh, Huggy, all those kids, Danny used to always say, all right, our life lesson today is like, oh, that's very ironic. My buddy Brett does that. And one day I asked Danny about it. He's like, where the hell do you think I learned it from? I said, you <laughs> son of a dog. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, that's awesome, Coach. I, like leadership for me is so near and dear to my heart because of the military, obviously. And it's leadership either in the house, at work, in a group, military, teams, whatever. It's so important for me that like – leadership is not there's a book out called primal leadership i read a long time ago and it talks about the stick or love and which one's more effective and i think they go back to the dynasty days in china but anyways the the whole point of it was to show that nine times out of ten the love is going to get what you need out of followers if you will um but let me ask you like what was the what is the most challenging leadership or coaching experience you've had in all your career like what was the most difficult for you to like face and overcome well you know i I would have to say two different uh, jobs that i had in kind of kind of different areas in the same league so when i first went from west point Mm -hmm. to coaching the houston thunder bears in the arena football league Mm -hmm. i walked into their offices and it was their offices were you know probably this little they were in a tennis court you know, this, mm-hmm. this tennis facility and, and, and the office itself, four coaches and probably this eight by eight box, you know, mm-hmm. all the desks on top of each other. We had to line the fields. We had to put up uh, lockers. We had to paint the walls. We had to do all this stuff ourselves as coaches. This is professional football now. Wow. And going from West Point where, I, where there were 19 <laughs> managers on the field where I didn't have to set up a drill. I put my drill sheet into the secretary. Everything was set up. Mm-hmm. You know, we had pristine environment, you know, disciplined kids. And now we go into a professional environment where we have to do everything ourselves as coaches and we got some renegades on the team. We got some guys that are trying to make it to the NFL because it's professional football, but it's not, 
you know, at the NFL level. So they're hungry to, to succeed. And they, some kids cut a lot of corners. I say kids, they're adults, right? Yeah. Um, so I look at that it was a, it was a challenging experience. And then probably the most challenging experience we had, I took over a team called the Pittsburgh Power. They had fired their head coach after the first game of the year. The owner was known to be a little bit off kilter, and uh, the, <laughs> you think, yeah, and you know, and, and the, the the head coach had a had a bad record the year before, so they were two and fourteen the year before I got there. Actually, not two and fourteen; they were two and sixteen the year before I got there, and uh, they fired the head coach after the after the first game, and they flew me out for the interview, and the, the owner said, "Pack heavy, because if the interview goes well, you're staying with us." Um, I said, "Well." You know, I'm not going to fly all the way out from Utah to Pittsburgh unless you're serious about this. He said, yeah, we definitely are. So I sit down at this country club with the owner, and we're having dinner, and one of the other owners is Lynn Swan. Oh, really? Mm, so, nice. you know, Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. He knows football, He knew, and he knows coaches. Yep. So I'm sitting there going, I'm, I'm going to get grilled. And Shane Conlon was also there, and Shane played at Penn State, played mm-hmm. for the Bills for years. He's a, he's a Hall of Famer as well, mm-hmm. um, linebacker. And, and so I'm sitting at this table going with two awesome football guys and this owner that's a real estate guy that really he doesn't know football too much, you know, and, and, and he's the entertainer, you know. So as I'm, as I'm sitting there and, and, and they say, well, you know, we're going to talk to you tomorrow about contract. We'll bring you down to the office. Well, the owner brings me in into the into the offices the next day. He said the interview went exceptionally well. We just fired our head coach. We want to offer your contract. So I looked at him and said, "Well, you just fired your head coach. So I'm kind of like I've got the negotiating lead here. You know, yeah, like no the kidding. ball's in mark my court." So I asked for the moon, and he gave me that and the stars. So everything kind of te- teamed up the right way. Um, and the first thing I did was we we had the team meeting. I had to hire a staff now in four days, and we we're playing the best team in the league that Saturday night. By the way. Oh, wow. The team that beat them by 50 at their place the year before. So no pressure. No pressure That's at all. right. Okay. And, and, and did I mention an unstable owner? <laughs> okay. so, you, you alluded to it. I don't know. Yeah, so a guy that's going to hold me to a very high standard. So we, we go into the game, and uh, we beat the San Jose Sabercats, you know, by two points. And oh, wow. everybody was just like, how the heck did you do this? Well, got to backtrack to how I put it together. Put the staff together with people that I knew people I knew that could hit the ground running. I had the quarterback, Tommy Grady, and a couple of the other players. Tommy played here at Utah, actually, he's a quarterback. Um, I had those guys already in place, so I knew them, knew what they could do. But the first thing I did, and this takes me back to the John Wooden you know, philosophy, um, and, I, and I'd steal stuff for, from every coach. I think every coach does that, right? You work mm-hmm. with certain people, you get to get certain ideas. Well, I heard that Pete Carroll did this uh, little trick one time to make his players uncomfortable and kind of find out who they were. Mm-hmm. So I went into the first meeting, you know, with the whole team, and it was in March. It was still a little cool out. I cranked up the heat in in the room. So I, I want to see what type of person I've got. And so you're gonna have three types of people, right? You got the person that's gonna sit in that room, make himself comfortable. He's gonna take his sweatshirt off and all that stuff, and he's not gonna do anything. He's not gonna make any waves. And then you got the guy that's gonna look for the thermostat or open a window. So he's gonna solve the problem. And then you've got the person in the room that's just going to sit there and complain. So I want to find out what type of team I've got. So I look at the, you know, and I'm marking down, you know, who's doing what. And everybody's asking, well, what, what, are, you, what are you doing, coach? I said, no, I'm just taking a roll. But I was actually making notes on what they were doing. So I knew after the first meeting kind of what I had. And then we used the Pittsburgh Steelers indoor, indoor practice facility. Mm-hmm. And so the next thing I did was I wanted to verify 
What are their habits? How are they as professionals? So there's a big ring that goes around that into a practice facility where they film from, and it's the crow's nest. So I, I got there early, sat up in the crow's nest and watched every one of my players come in. What were they going to do? Were they just going to lay on the turf and wait for me to show up? Were they going to warm up and do something skill-wise? Or were they going to fix their tape? You know, or are they just going to stand around and socialize? And I made notes on that as well. Mm-hmm. So going into the first game, I knew what I had. I knew exactly what their mental makeup would be. And I knew who I could trust. And so all of those things got us off and running to win the first game. Bottom line is, you know, out of an 18-game season, I took over in the second week. We went 15-2. and two. Well, congrats. Congrats. That's so, awesome. Yeah, and, and let's, let's be honest about it. I tell the kids all this time, at, all, all the time at Juan Diego, players win the games. Yeah. There hasn't been a coach yet that's won a football game. Mm-hmm. The guys True. between the stripes win the games. You've got to make sure people are in the right place, do the right things, have the right systems in place, all that kind of stuff. And that takes work and planning. I'm not downgrading the coaching aspect of it. But I had good players. But all they needed was focus. The year before, they couldn't get focused. They, they weren't held accountable. They were able to do whatever they wanted to do. And the first thing it came down to, as I said to the, to the manager, is every practice, I want them in team issue. I don't want them wearing University of Utah, University of Washington t-shirts, whatever they're, wherever they're from. Make it big time where you're at. So everything was Pittsburgh power gear. And one day we had a, a Pittsburgh Steelers scout come through the practice. And every minute's accountable. So if you if you know me well, and maybe this comes back to coaching at West Point and coaching at various places I've been, uh, time is very big for me. Mm-hmm. Every minute's accountable, you know, in a practice schedule. And the scout came up to me after the practice. He said, "You guys look good. I mean, these guys don't look like the ragtag bunch that I saw last year. They they look the part. Uh, they're moving at every segment. You've got everything put together." I said, "Well, what do you expect? It's professional football." You know, <laughs> they needed leadership. Yeah, right. and so that's what it comes down to, right? And so I've always instilled those qualities in the teams that I've had, and I, I like to feel like teams progress because they're put in a strong framework. You know, I, I I always, again, a philosophy of mine in coaching is get a strong framework and let those players bounce inside of that. Perfect. Let them be them, but but make sure they know what the menu is, and they're not they're, they're not nothing's a la carte. They're, they're, everything's according to the menu I set, and they're going to order off of that consistently. So that's that's kind of the way I approach things. It's it's been successful for me. For some people, it, it doesn't work, but mm-hmm. I, I always feel like you know when I go to work in in the morning, uh, the two things I carry with me are attitude and effort, and they're both free. Gotcha. Well, Coach, let me interrupt you there. We need to take a quick break and let Brad do what he does. I don't say it nearly as smooth as Brett. but (laughs) Anyways, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back with Coach Ron James. This is Gregory, owner of Lift Up Concrete, proudly serving the Wasatch Front for the last 12 years, lifting sunken flatwork for both residential and commercial applications. Only fully trained professionals lifting concrete at your residence with the same quality of material and method used at every commercial job we ever do. Don't replace it, lift it. Liftupconcrete.net, 801-792-4535. Contact us at liftupconcrete.net, or if you're looking for a complimentary quote, 801-792-4535, again, 801-792-4535, Again, this is Gregory, Lift Up Concrete Lifting. 
at High Point Coffee are proud to sponsor the Other Side of Addiction podcast. If you've never heard of us, High Point is a warm and inviting little coffee house just on the corner of 7800 South and Redwood Road. Our shop has easy access drive through free Wi-Fi, and plenty of comfortable seating, with charging stations good for everything from studying, business meetings, or get-togethers with friends. We opened High Point's doors in November of 2007 and have been happily growing ever since. We love what we do and refer to our customers as family because that's the way you are treated here. We don't believe that anyone should walk away from our coffee house with anything less than a huge smile and a great cup of coffee. We have a full menu of options from hot lattes to top of the line frappes and delicious smoothies. We are a family-oriented establishment with huge selection for kids and any non-coffee drinkers as well. We also have fresh, delicious pastries, homemade breakfast croissants, pretty much anything your heart desires. Come see us at High Point Coffee in West Jordan on the corner of 7800 South and Redwood. We look forward to meeting you. Hello everyone, this is Brad Neufeld, host of Resilience. You can catch my show every morning at 8 a.m., Monday through Friday, right here on the Resilience Talk Network. Tune in to discover what it takes to overcome any challenge that you may face in life. You'll be glad you did. All right, and we are back with the one and only Ron James. Coach, so you said something earlier, and I want to kind of touch on, because I think this will probably, you know, obviously this will touch and uh, go back to your leadership, but professional, you got a lot of athletes. But working at a high school level now is, I'm sure, challenged many levels, as you said, or many, many ways or reasons. You said you got to go with what you got, like how do you teach somebody that's never played the game before to come in, believe in themselves, learn the game, and then get out there and get that synergistic uh, flow with the team, as you said? Well, the biggest thing you alluded to is have them have faith in themselves. And that's a difficult thing. I mean, just bring your back, yourself back. I always take myself back to when I was in high school. You know, you're worried about a lot of things. You're worried about, hey, does this girl like me? You know, I'm going to get my good grades. You know, are my parents going to be proud of me? Whatever you're your particular hot button is you've got a lot of things going on in your mind and let's throw hormones into it too, right? So <laughs> is the decision-making going to be the best? And we always talked about this when I coach college football. You're like, our, our livelihood depends upon 18 to 22-year-olds making the best decisions. Now let's take that down a level. Now you're looking at as a coach, you're depending on the decision-making process of 13 to 18-year-olds. Yeah, no kidding. And that's that can be challenging, right? So I think the first thing is find what they're good at. You know, I, I always, you know, I get accused of this all the time, even at Juan Diego, of being the most upbeat, optimistic person that there is. But I don't think that there's any point in looking at the downside on, on anything. I mean, because you can look at that all day long, and all you do is bring the, yourself down and people around you, right? So I always look for the best thing the kid does. So if I can find one thing, a specific skill that he has, hone that, make it better, and we can use that. Maybe it's just third down pass rush. Maybe it's just... A situation where you know he's a backup safety. 
whatever it is, we're looking to develop that talent because like you said, we're not getting new people. We just got to do the best with what we have. Uh, it makes you more precise. I think it's made me a better coach. I, I think that I didn't understand that in the beginning of the season, which is kind of funny. We, at Juan Diego, we tend to play better teams in the beginning of the year than we do at the end of the year and because we'll play above our level. You know, we'll play some 5A and 6A schools early in the, in the season to kind of tune ourselves up, find out where we're at. And then all of a sudden we're playing the 3A teams at the end of the year. Yeah. And I don't say that they're, that they're not as good, but they're at our own level. So we should be better at playing the teams that are, you know, in our own divisions. Mm-hmm. So early in the year, what I did was I, you know, I went back to my base of knowledge, which is college football. And I'd been a defensive coordinator for eight years in college football. I coached defensive backs and linebackers, and professionally I coached the line groups. So I, you know, I, I feel like I know every position, but I didn't know the kids. I mean, I went into the first game. I knew a handful of kids. You know, I knew their names based on you know everybody else palling around with them. You know, you, you know, you know Dallas Larson because his name's a little bit different. Trace Monson because he's out there. Michael mm-hmm. Holverson, yeah. Antonio Rosano. You know some of those guys because they all pal around together and you hear them talking. They're thick as thieves, those knuckleheads. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but you know the thing about it was I didn't really know those kids. I, I saw them through workouts and I had my ideas of, of who was who and what they could do. Not seeing it under live action, I, I had no idea. And throw that together with being a college coach. I said, you know what? I can out-scheme these high school coaches. There's no doubt about it. I can out-coach anybody that I'm going up against. And I, I'm not trying to sound arrogant. I'm just saying that you're you know, confident based on what I'd seen, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not about what I know. It's about what they know. And I have to constantly remind myself, be simpler. Be around these kids. Know what they're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Know what they're capable of processing. So in the first couple of weeks, I didn't do that. I, I said, you know what? This team runs this, 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 and this. Therefore, we can do that, this, that. I did a lot of if-then coaching. If they come out in this, then we're going to do this. And I had perfect game plans. But the kids are looking <laughs> at me like, okay, they did this. So what, now we, what do we do? What, 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 what looks like that? Oh, what? Oh. And there was a lot of guesswork, right? So what I finally came to realize is that, okay, just stay in the things that we do and do them well. And if you notice, like last year, towards the middle of the season and into the playoffs, when we played Morgan in the playoff game, mm-hmm. we played one of our better defensive games. Yeah. You know, you know it, but we didn't do that much. Yeah. We just got the kids believing in what they do and doing it well. And, and not to mention the fact that I had Ron McBride coaching with me, who was, you know, one <laughs> of the greatest all-time coaches at the college level. And, and he relates so well to these kids. You would not believe a man in his mid-80s gets with these and he works them out twice a week now in the off season works out a group of linemen and he comes to the school every day including sunday to watch films I, I, you know if, if i'm his age i got my feet up on the lawn chair and in a, and having a cold <laughs> one on a sunday afternoon i'm not going through high school film yeah. you know but he does that and he doesn't he doesn't know anything but full speed and the kids respect that and talk about getting down to their level i never would think in a million years that someone at his age, could affect those kids as much as he does. And I take the lead from that. I see the way he acts with those kids. I act in a similar fashion. Of course, I always go back to the mantra of coaching, be yourself. You know, not everybody's going to be Newt Rockney or Bear Bryant or whatever. You just got to do you, you know, because the kids will see through that. They see a fake the moment you walk through the door. Yeah. You know, it's, 
a, a fake to a kid is, is no different than you and I walking down, you know, the New York City streets and somebody offers us a Rolex for 20 bucks. Yeah, exactly. You know, we know exactly what's happening. So uh, what I try to do with these kids is make sure that I look at what they do best, hone in on their skills, and then improve them. And it goes back to a lot of what I, I, I thought about in, coll- in college and professional football. See, in the pros, it's different because a professional athlete will tune you out the minute they think you can't improve their game. It's true. They look at you and they say, well, this guy ain't making me better. I'm not getting a bit better by whatever he's saying to me, so it's just background noise. They'll, they'll listen out of respect because you're a coach, but they'll go out and keep doing what they're doing. So, But if you can make them better... And that makes you more precise coaching, too. In college football, it's about making sure that these kids who are all very good athletes, no kid comes out of high school football and plays college football unless they have a certain skill set, right? It's making sure that skill set is developed in an environment that makes them a man. You get kids, and you got to make them men. Professionally, you got men, and you've got to make them accountable because maybe their professional acumen isn't that high. In high school, you have kids that you have to develop character and skill with. Yeah. And that's how I approach it. And so that's that's really interesting because, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks ago we had a lady on here, and she's part of a group that's doing the parent playbook. Yeah, Leanne Hawkins. Yeah, and, and, and Brett is a master at this in his own world, in his own business. But it's amazing to me that how many people, and myself included, you look at a kid and you automatically reflect back on yourself and say, why aren't you doing what I think is best for you? And whether you're a parent, business owner, whatever, I think that's a fundamental point that we miss is that we're, we're looking at them and instead of using their strengths and what they're good at, we automatically want them as a parent. We take, you know, we look at it and say, well, this is what I did. And deep in their mind, just like you said, and my kid I know at least is saying, who the hell are you, old man? <laughs> but I think that's so profound because... If you look at anything, and I always say sports is more than just the game. It's it's about life. Mm-hmm. And Brett, you know, I he, I'm I'm not going to steal his thunder, but it's you learn so many life lessons and skills in that. Are you going to quit? Are you going to be selfless? Are you going to work hard for your team? Are you going to show up? Are you going to do what you're supposed to do? Are you going to do your job by taking one step to the left rather than just standing straight up? Or in the military, are you going to like stay awake while you're on patrol? And, and you have security. So, you know, I think that's profound. And everybody out there, I, I hope you're listening. Parents and everybody, you got to do, you got to use what you have. And you have to use their strengths to help them achieve their their goals and their heights. So, yeah. yeah I, you know, and, and this day and age, you, I don't know, maybe you see this differently. But I see kids all the time. We're working with them and their parents. And... <clears throat> parents are trying to coddle their kids right they're they're really crippling their kids being snowplow parents or helicopter parents and i love john wooden's line i use this all the time i think all my black belts could quote this the worst thing you can do for another person is the things they could do and should do for themselves and wooden was famous for that line i don't know if he created it or not but (laughs) it's it's uh, so true yeah and it's 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 just sad to see how many great kids are not getting held to the ex- to a to a higher level just because the parents are trying to live through their kids in some way or do too much for their kids because they think they're giving them an advantage by enrolling them in certain things or doing 50 activities or 
you know, going to talk to the coach when the coach doesn't let them play. I'm sure you've experienced that. Yeah. Um, that's just sad. It, it, it really is, but very similar to what you were talking about with the military. I mean, my son never saw me play football. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and as a football player himself, I had to draw upon, you know, some of the things that I did workout wise and, you know, getting myself to be a better athlete because I was one of those guys that played in a small college, uh, was able to go through the NFL for three years, at, you know, 70 pounds ago as an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he never saw any of that. He saw me as an old coach, you know, <laughs> running around with these with these guys. And I do the same thing with, with the kids at Juan Diego. I might show them a picture of like, yeah, yeah. I did have hair color at one time, you know, and I didn't always have <laughs> I white did have hair, hair, you know, and, and I, did, I did wear a football uniform, but I'm not going to tell them, you know, what I did and how I did it and all that stuff. I'm going to find out what they do, you know, observe them, know what they do, work with them, and then draw on the skill set that I had to make them better. And, and I think, it, you know, with my son, it, he, he always sees my, my jerseys hanging up and stuff like that, and he'll look at it and go, well, what was it like when you played, you know, for the Bengals, or what was it like when you were in camp with the Giants, or what, all these different things that he'll say to me, and you know he'll go into my room and every once in a while, you know I'll wear some of my championship rings and stuff like that, and he'll look at it and go, "That's pretty cool." I said, "But that's history. Yeah, you're you're writing your own story right now. I mean, he's going to Boston College. He's like one of the higher, highest rated uh, track and field kids right now at 5A, you know, in the sprints, and I'm really Congrats. proud of him. You know, he's that's awesome. He's yeah. a tough kid, but." But he's different than I am. He's a 4.0 student. I never was a 4.0 student. You know, he's, he's, go, he's going on an academic and athletic scholarship, so he's doing great things, you know, and I'm very, very proud of him. Yeah, but he's different than I ever was. I can't, if I look at him, he's a linear thinker. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew from the minute he started playing football that he should be a receiver because he sees everything like you're doing geometry. Yeah. He's, he's running down the field. He knows he has to make a break here and there. I was one of those meathead linemen. Get me in front of somebody, I'm going to kick your ass. You know, that, that, that was all I knew. You know, me block you. You know, caveman football. But it's, it's, it's different now. We talked about that, you know, on the break. It's different with kids now. But with kids, they have to be held accountable and they have to, have to be worked at the skill sets that they do well. And then you develop the things that they don't do well to complement that. Mm-hmm. Not the other way around. Because if you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole at the high school level, you're going to turn the kid off, number one. He's going to go the other way. Because as soon as he doesn't enjoy any success whatsoever or, or enjoy what he's doing, this is not for me. Because very similar to being in the military, football demands that you go through the hard work. It doesn't get handed to you. Yeah. you know? And so, so for some of these kids, that's not their cup of tea. They want to have the instant gratification. They want to have the, you know, the... At a boy every time, and you can't give that to them. Yeah. So it's those kids that are willing to work to find what they don't do well and work at those things, they're going to succeed. Yeah, and just uh, when you say hold them accountable, I think people have a negative connotation with that. But yeah, holding them accountable, making them better, living up to their potential, I think that's spot on. But all right, so we're at that point where we need to take another break. So, Brad, do your thing, and we are going to pause. Hi, this is Tamara K. Anderson, and I want to share something special with you. When our son Nathan was diagnosed with autism, I felt like the life we had expected for him was ripped away, and with it, my own heart shattered as well. It's very common for families to feel anger, pain, confusion, and anxiety when a child is diagnosed. This is where my book, Normal For Me, comes into play. 
It shares my story of learning to replace my pain with acceptance, peace, joy, and hope. Normal For Me has helped change many lives, and I'd like to give this book to as many families as possible. We put together something I think is really special. My friends and listeners can order copies of my book at a significantly discounted price, and we will send them to families who have just had a child diagnosed with autism or another special needs diagnosis. We will put your name inside the cover so they will know someone out there loves them and wants to help. I will also sign each copy. You can order as little as one or as many as hundreds to be shared with others. So go to my website, TamaraKAnderson.com and visit the store section for more information and to place your order. You can bless the lives of many families by sending them hope, love, and peace. Check it out today at TamaraKAnderson.com and help me spread hope to the world. Welcome to the Resilience Talk Network. My name is Jay Walter and I'm the host of Rebuilding. Heard every weekday night from 6 to 7 p.m. You can listen in and learn how to face your fears, overcome obstacles, and make dreams a reality. So listen every weekday night from 6 to 7 p.m. right here on the Resilience Talk Network. All right, and we're back with the one and only Ron James. Coach, this has been awesome, and um, I can't thank you enough, but we want to ask a couple more questions. And, and one question we have that we ask everybody, and, and this is hopefully to give people insight, but what is a defining moment in your life, either you know, one or two of them, um, and what did you learn, or what was the message you want to share with people about that moment? Well, I, th- I think it's like a lot of people talk about all the time, tough times don't last, tough people do. Right you know, and as a coach, I learned that early on uh, because my first job ever was $500 for the season. I wasn't going to make a living doing that. Uh, as a football coach, if you're going to work your way up the ranks, you get low pay, no acclaim, you've got to tough it out. And if you can survive the first five years as a coach, they say you probably will be a lifer. And at some point, you're going to have unemployment. You're going to have to deal with a lot of different things. But for me, really, the defining moment was when I got a job at St. Lawrence University. Uh, you know, I went up there because my, my sister was graduating from the, from the university, and I heard that they had an opening. And uh, I, I just dropped into the football offices. I wanted to meet the head coach. I wanted to, you know, see, see him face-to-face. In those days, you sent letters everywhere, you know, and, and I, I must have sent out more letters than kids send to Santa and didn't get a job, you know. I just It was crazy. Anything that was open, I was sending a letter. And most of the time, you get the form letter back, or sometimes you didn't get anything. Uh, but, I, you know, I sent the letters out, and, and I didn't get anything back from St. Lawrence. I said, I'm going up to my sister's graduation. I'm going to go to the football office. So I got dressed up in my nice my nicest suit from, like, the men's warehouse or wherever the heck I could find it, you know. The, but uh, I... <laughs> I sat there in this ill-fitted suit and, and waited in the, in the heat. It was, you know, end of May in upstate New York, and they didn't have air conditioning in the offices, and I was sweating bullets not only because I needed a job but also <laughs> because it was hot. And, um, you know, I kept kept sitting there. I sat there for four hours, and uh, 
Finally, the secretary took pity on me. You know, she kept coming back and asking if I wanted a drink, I want water, this and that. She said, I, I can't get a hold of the coach. And the coach lived like uh, four or five blocks from the university, a very small town in Canton, New York, upstate New York, right by the Canadian border. And uh, I said to, to her, I said, well, you know, if you tell me where the coach's house is, I'll go over there. She's, well, I can't do that. But, I, <laughs> you know, I did send, um, you know, one of our grad students over to see if Coach Kimball was there. And Joe Kimball was my mentor, and he taught me a lot more about being a professional football coach than anybody else. But long story short, um, he comes back. He's got paint in his hair. He's doing housework and all this stuff. And he <laughs> says, boy, you must really want this job. And I said, I really do, Coach. He said, he said, well, you know it doesn't pay much, right? And I said, well, how much does it pay? He said, well, we're going to give you uh, $3,000 for the whole season. I said, oh, wow, I thought I was rich. <laughs> and I went from five hundred to three grand. i am like, this is great. So score, right? So I said, well, i got to find the best apartment I can find, but cheap, right? So I went over to Greyhound Station in Canton, New York. There's a place called the University Inn. There's a bar downstairs. The Greyhound State, you know, buses come pulling up, and there was a tiny apartment over there. One bedroom, one shelf. You know, the bathroom doubled as, as the toilet and the shower all in one. And you know, it, it just was a, a nightmare for most people, but for me it was a Taj Mahal. There you so go. I was like, Here, this is perfect. So I got the room. And I got to know the bartender downstairs was a middle-aged woman. Her name was Shelba. And I'll never forget this. Shelba used to feed me the, the meals that were left from the day. So whatever was left over that they, they couldn't use the next day, she would come upstairs, knock on my door, and say, you come down to the bar, you know, you, we got dinner for you. So that's how I got fed. So she just saved dinner for you. She saved dinner for me that's every night. Awesome. She, yeah. she was my She was my saint uh, from St. Lawrence. And, uh, you know, I had that going for me. And then in the morning, I got up at 5 o'clock every morning. I went downtown to work for the refuse system. So I was a garbage man for the morning shift. Got off and then went to the university to coach football. And, I, you know, I did that that whole year and was grateful to do it. And I knew that at that point I wanted to coach football because you're not going to go through those tough times or those circumstances to do something you don't love. And I love coaching. Always have, always will. It's something I've never, I've been fortunate enough to only have two other jobs in my life that were non-coaching. And, and it's, it's just been a blessing. So I, I, every day that I hit the ground and go to Juan Diego, I'm fired up about it. I love being with those kids. That, that school has really literally saved my life this last year. Has made me a better father, a better person, and a better husband. And so... I, I love being there. Very grateful for that for that school and those kids. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. For sure. And, and coach, if you can, and I learned about this only through the banquet, but he made a big decision. He had a big offer just recently to go back to professional level, hmm. and chose to to not do that. Um, can you talk about that? Was that a tough decision or? It was a tough decision only because the team is in my hometown. It's a team called the Albany Empire that's a, a professional indoor team. And, uh, you know, they, the owner called me and wanted me to go back home. And, you know, it would help in a number of ways with their merchandising and, and with their, their, uh, their fan base and all that kind of stuff. And, and it was it's where I grew up. I grew up in Albany, New York. So I, I really con- I considered it for about a day. I didn't even go to Gailey Colosimo's office, Dr. Colosimo, and bother him with that. But I did tell Coach Williams and Coach Larson and some of the guys that I worked with, only to be fair if, if that was going to be a decision that I was going to be serious about. But then I came back to what I told the kids. I told those kids I was going to be there for them. And, I, and I, you know, you've got to walk the walk. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so many coaches nowadays that'll say, I'm here forever. And then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm signing at the University of Alabama to go be the defensive coordinator. All of a sudden, they're gone. You know, the ghost these kids, they've made all these promises to. It's easier to do that when there are no billion-dollar checks assigned to it, right? So at some point, you know, I think that outweighs the, the issue because of sure. your family. But I made a commitment to my family to be around, but I made a commitment to those kids to be around. And I couldn't look them in their faces and say, you know what, I'm abandoning you. And I couldn't do that with all good conscience because that school's been great to me, and I have to give back to them, and I've been giving back to the community and those kids that I work with. And at some point in your career, I've been 30 years at this thing. You know, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to sell your soul, you know, 30 years into the business for a couple more dollars, you know. And so it means a lot to me to be able to look those kids in the face and know, you know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the real deal. I'm telling you the real things. I'm not going to tell you, you know, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass every day that I come in here. I'm, I'm going to tell you what it's going to take to be successful and I'm going to work hard with you. But uh, it's a two-way street. Yeah, it's lean, you're leading by example. And that's, yep. that's honorable. Brad, I'm hogging it up. Do you got anything? No, I'm enjoying the conversation. I I get to I get to hear it from uh, some incredible stuff. I, you know, Coach, what's what's been the uh, Have you tried to uh, implement any kind of specific youth programs at the school or with the team, or what have you kind of done in that part of your career? Or have you? What I get the impression that that's the kind of guy you are. <laughs> so well, it's it's been mostly focused on on getting the athletes better and doing the after school programs we do in the weight room. That's mm-hmm. that's been the real focus um, as far as that's concerned. But I I've always like when I coached the Utah Blaze, we had a thing called the Coaches Commandos where we we take a bunch of kids go. Out, players I should say not kids go out and feed the homeless or go out and do mm-hmm. we did a coach for the cold project where we it's been di- more difficult during this pandemic to to do those type of things to True. bring our our players out into the public and to to be of service um, but that is certainly in the plans it's just kind of who I am because mm-hmm. I think it's important you know there there are so many people and I, I love the some of the things that Utah Jazz does and some of those players do some great things getting out to the public and being true to who you are Mm-hmm. You know, and I think part of the, you know, the Catholic environment they have at Juan Diego, but also the, the type of community we have here uh, in the greater Salt Lake Valley is up to be of service. Mm-hmm. You know, you see that regardless of religion, regardless of race, there are people out there that really want to make this world a better place. And I think if you're not pushing that in that direction, you're just coasting. You're just being one of the sheep. And I, and I don't think we, you know, we weren't born to be that. Right. Absolutely. So um, thanks for sharing that. I just kind of got the impression that <laughs> from everything you said, that was the kind of man that you were. So um, that, that, that was my biggest question at the moment, Sal. Yeah, no, that's um, uh, – leadership's big, right? I mean, Brett has a program, and he, ta- he teaches leadership, not only just about getting black belt, um, but it's about being a leader. It's about being someone that does the right thing and takes the, the hard road rather than the easy path. And so I think from the things you said, you know, I think you're one of the one of the one percenters, as we like to say. But leadership to me is more, I guess, more important than coaching. But I'm not a coach. And so tell me your your thoughts on what is the single most important thing. And you may have already said it, but what is the single most important thing about being a coach, be it leadership taking care of the kids, reaching the kids, whatever you think. For coaches out there right now that are trying to get started, what would be your advice to them? Well, to, to me, being a coach is servant leadership. 
I mean, you're you're there to serve your athletes, not the other way around. I mean, I, I'm not there so that my athletes can make me be the best coach possible. I'm there that I can make them the best athletes possible. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think there's a big difference in that. The same way there's a big difference in people viewing leadership. Leadership to some people is the guy that stands behind the podium and gives a speech. Yeah. Anybody can do that. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I happen to be, you know, probably very good at, at getting up in, in front of big groups. I can stand up in front of thousands of people, be articulate, be on point. But if you take me into an intimate setting and talk about my family, I'll well up and, I'll, you know, I'll, <laughs> I can't get words out. I like you, know? you even more now, Coach. <laughs> you know, so, so it's, it's, things, it's things like that that I look at and say, well, leadership isn't about the guy out in front. I was told this by Sam Weish one time. He used to be the head coach of the Bengals, and he, and he told me one time, he said, being the leader means that you're the pillar. The wind may blow, but the pillar doesn't move. You got to be that guy that's out in front. Day one, here's the plan. I've got it, and you got to believe it, so that everybody that's in front of you will believe it. And then you got to step back and say, "How can I be the servant of this group that I'm leading?" And it's very important to know that there's a difference. You can't be that guy out in front that says, "I got the plan, and it's my way or the highway." These days, athletes do not respond to that. Yeah. They'll look at you and they'll go, well, he's a tough guy, but is there something behind that that's masking some insecurity or something that he's not good at? You've got to be the guy that says, here's the plan, here's what we're doing, believe in what we're doing. And oh, by the way, you know, I'm not 100% on everything that I do. Be human about it. I make mistakes just like you do, but we're going to make our mistakes 100 miles an hour and together. And if we do this together, we're not going to fail. I love it, Coach. Accountability, humility, service, and leadership. So we're at that point. We're going to take another quick break, Coach, and then we're going to come back and wrap it up with any last thoughts or words of wisdom you have to share out there with Operation Limitless Land. I'm author Richard Paul Evans. 20 years ago, we created the Christmas Box House to protect and care for abused and neglected children. Did you know we've protected more than 125,000 children? That's enough to fill every seat in both the University of Utah and BYU football stadiums. Did you know we've been helping the victims of human trafficking for more than 20 years, long before people were even talking about it? Did you know that last year alone, we served almost 9,000 children, providing 12,000 days of care? That's more than 32 years of care in the last 12 months. Did you know that with more than 700 volunteers, we provided Christmas for nearly 3,000 at-risk children Did you know that we need your help to do all this? This pandemic has been hard on everyone, but especially these children. If you or your business would like to help through donations or volunteering, we'd love to meet you. Find the Christmas Box House online and go to our website. And thank you for caring. All right, and we are back for the final little segment with the one and only Coach Ron James. So, Coach, you've been awesome, and this is an exciting podcast. I can't wait for people to listen to. What is a final message, or if somebody wants to get in contact with you and, and get advice from you or anything like that, what what message, what final message to everybody out there would you send out? You know, it, live your life the way you want somebody else to live it. That's that's how I always look at it. And it's kind of funny when I say that, right? But try to look outside yourself every every now and then. Are you living your life 
in the right way. And I try to just look mirror the, the, the respect and, and admiration I have for those, those around me. Like the kids that I work with, for example, at the school. I look at them and I say, you know what? I was once in their shoes. I want to be better than that this time around. So yeah. when I coach them, I look at them and say, okay, how can we improve? How can I be true to them? And basically just be yourself, you know? And so, you know, after 30 years of coaching, I know a lot about football. I know a lot about weight training, all those type of things, but I've also done some motivational speaking and all those type of things. I feel like that I can reach anybody. And one of the things that uh, that I'm, I'm working on currently uh, is to teenage suicide prevention. And it's a big thing to me because I feel like a lot of kids in this world are lost and they don't have the tools to, to recoup, you know, their confidence or, or to, to move through certain situations. And all they need is a friendly ear or somebody to say, you know what, I've had a situation like that. I, I've been in your position. I, I've overcome certain things. And we've all under, overcome certain obstacles. But when, as a teenager, a lot of times those obstacles for you are overwhelming. You get caught in that black hole. You can't see your way around it. And if I can be a voice for some of those kids to get better and to understand that life's worth living and that there's certain tools you can utilize or people you can go talk to, I'd love to do that. And people can always get a hold of me on Twitter, at Coach James, the number one, all together. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm more than well willing to hear people's stories, to help people out of their situations especially kids, because there's so much life left for these kids. And I think after all of this pandemic stuff, a lot of these kids have, have been isolated. A lot of these kids have not had the tools necessary. People to always talk about the, the pandemic had fear-based things. You know, you couldn't see people's faces. You had the mask. And I, I look at what's the opposite. The antithesis of fear is what? Hope. You just have to give people hope and a reason to believe. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach, because our, our last guest, we were just talking about that, too. And COVID has produced a lot of PTSD that people aren't recognizing. They don't, they're not giving it the credit. And unfortunately, I was one of them. I saw it in clinic. And and that's affecting a lot of teenagers. Yeah. They, they've got their own form of PTSD. So my hat's off to you, man. I, I really enjoyed this podcast. I think you're awesome. I think you're going to change the world for a lot of kids. Um, and I'm I'm super honored to know you. Yeah, and Coach, I just want to say that as well. Thank you very much for being Thank here. You. Appreciate your time, your wisdom. Fun, guys. Yeah, outstanding what you're doing. So, um, anyway, with that being said, uh, that's the end of this podcast with Coach Ron James. I'm, uh, I want to say we're out with Sal Rosano and Bad Brad Newfeld, who's behind the camera today, and of course our partners in crime, Bill Schiffenauer and Mark Peterson, who couldn't be with us today. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or somebody you'd like us to interview on the show, just send an email to brett at brettlechtenberg.com, or you can find Sal or I, Mark or Bill, on Facebook pretty easily, and we'll be glad to address those things for you. So with that, Coach, you're somebody we truly consider to be limitless, so thank you very much, and everybody out there, have a limitless day. 